Welcome to Everything Nonprofit, a podcast where we reveal the secrets, tips, and tricks for leading a nonprofit. My name is Carmen. And I'm Kayla. As nonprofit founders, we know firsthand how challenging and overwhelming it can be to build a nonprofit from the ground up. This is a podcast for nonprofit executives by nonprofit executives. If you need advice on starting your own nonprofit organization or are looking to expand your knowledge of nonprofit operations, stay tuned. We're so grateful to have my wonderful friend, Mina Daz, to join us today. Mina is a founder, analytics consultant, and trainer with her practice, Namaste Data. She specializes in designing and teaching equitable research tools and analyzing engagement. Mina appreciates spending her time outside work as a mentor to immigrants and as a pro bono research advisor to small shops. Her three recent favorite projects are talking about idea-led data and research through her LinkedIn-based newsletter, Data Uncollected, publishing her first Kindle ebook entitled Some Data Posts, and building a virtual school for advancing equity through data. Data is for everyone. Welcome to the show, Mina. Thank you so much for having me, Carmen and Kayla. Mina, from your bio, I hear a long list of accolades from being a mentor, writing to public speaking. And the common theme that I see here between all of them is data. Maybe can you give us a breakdown on the importance of it, especially within the nonprofit space? Absolutely. Um, So I have been working for almost 15 years now. A lot of my work experience has been in India and in the US and now in Canada. Um, and I'm so basically I'm a first generation immigrant here in the States. And my experience with data for a long time has been in the tech and then in the nonprofit spanned across different countries. And for the longest time, my view towards data was very um, mono, like, you know, just straight looking at the KPIs, looking at the dashboards, looking at the reports as a, as a program manager, as a project manager, different roles, the kind of same thing. And as I came to the nonprofits, I entered the nonprofit space in the States as a consultant for a different organization. I wasn't doing my own thing until then. And it still needed a single lens looking at wealth for a homogenous population. So for as I became a consultant for my own practice, I started to explore different lenses for data, maybe someday as in a thesis, someday as um, just simply looking at the fundamentals of it, like going 10 steps back from KPIs and dashboards, just looking why did we collect it or what is missing in that data or where is that potential bias entering in that data, which may be harming people. And I think this was coming from the, the fact that for a lot of data that I was um, working with, it, I couldn't see myself being represented in the data. And when I say I, I kind of talk about a lot of the um, marginalized population or BIPOC professionals. And I, I wouldn't see people who look like me or talk like me in the data. So I would say the importance of data to your question and what it means in the nonprofits, it means to take, it, it, it requires different lenses. And I take the example of kitchen a lot. So in the kitchen, someone is a cook, someone does the grocery shopping, someone breaks the fridge like me, someone does it all. Um, it's the same with the data, and especially in the nonprofits. 
some of us would be data collectors, some of us would be the ones who analyze it, some of us would be the, the director of development and EDs and leadership level roles who would be looking at the reports. But what data that means and that stays in front of us requires us, regardless of what role we are in, to take sometimes different lenses towards that data. So some days it would mean to go take a 10 step back and think about where is this data coming from if we are thinking to move towards um, different communities or diverse communities. Some days it would require to think about, okay, we did a research on uh, using built analysis. Do we need to change our approach a little bit based on what we are trying to accomplish? Um, so data, it's maybe not answering your question completely, um, but it does require different lenses. That's what I'm coming to the conclusion these days or my evolving responses, depending on the rule, we need to have different lenses towards the data. That makes a ton of sense. And I know that as I hear more about AI and the technology behind AI, that it's not necessarily equitable because it is programmed by people and, and people put their biases, maybe not even intentionally into it, but it happens. And you know that's, that's the problem with it is computers aren't as intelligent <laughs> as we sometimes think that they are. They're created by humans and as such are, are a little flawed. I could give an example one to kind of um, set a context for this topic. Um, one of the organizations out of Seattle, and I was in Seattle for a long time before moving to Vancouver, where I'm here right now, uh, one of the organizations that worked with immigrants and refugee rights and advocacy work, the, the part of that work was to collect impact stories from the people who, from the immigrants who had faced um, domestic violence cases. And the way that that process was set up, and I'm giving an example, was people would be either called or people would be sent a letter as a request on their physical address. This was created as a process and that data was collected in the back end, and that data was collected to, um, to analyze and create those impact reports. The issue, the equitable, the missing portion in that process is that it worked maybe for predominantly homogenous white population maybe who had stable homes and stable houses but this one we were talking about domestic violence with the immigrant background women from the immigrant background who may not have a physical safe home to to get that letter where they can respond to share their impact stories so to your point uh, yeah they, the biases that come they are not intentional it was made meant for the majority of the population but there's always a pockets that we need to think about when it comes to how that processes and how it translates back into the yeah absolutely and you just mentioned a really good instance of where there's not a one size fits all solution when it comes to gathering and collecting and analyze data. Um, so what are some of the, the common tools that you help nonprofits create in order to collect and analyze their data, knowing that all of the circumstances are unique? I would say, honestly, I have no idea about a one single, like a one good tool. So what, I, what I'm learning before my setting up my practice was we have come to a place, every organization has some comfort with some tools, right? And they have some AI-based products and they have some um, tools that they regularly use. And I call that, I've started to call that 
algorithmic behavior. So say you are using an AI-based tool that segments your donors to create a list from data point A, B, and C. So using those three data points, they create a list of top 500 donors. What it does is using that same product again and again and again, what it's going to do is the fundraisers would rely on collecting good data just for the points A, B, and C, because they would know that's going to give them a good result. That's going to give them a segmented result. In that process, we might miss that there might be a good data point D and E that should have been collected too, or A no longer serves the purpose for which we are being here. That kind of a behavior, the pattern to constantly collect something that has served us in the past, what I call like to call algorithmic behavior, that's what I'm trying to break by moving away from maybe recommending or I would say like suggesting one, one particular product or a tool. So a lot of my work is based on consulting or workshopping. And both of them are focused on telling nonprofits to think in a product agnostic way, step away from the product and think about the fundamentals of the data, just in terms of where is it coming from? How is it being collected? Who is it coming from? And what do you want to do with it? And then once they have that kind of a clarity, then we can zero in towards the product versus as opposed to a beautiful product came in the market. It's amazing. We read a list of features. Now let's get the subscription and start using it and changing our behavior to serve the product. How do you then determine those key metrics for them? So my work as of now is focused on two things. So let's say for this part of workshops where I talk about advancing equity through data, it's a half day workshop. The purpose of that workshop is to bring all the people from an organization or even individuals can come. It shouldn't be a burden on the individuals to bring their whole staff member to learn about a topic, right? A data coordinator who wants to learn, they can also join as an individual. In those workshops, my aim is to not take a single product's name, but only talk about those fundamentals. Now, the idea is from that workshop, people will go back, they will take these materials and parse them and, and think about them, let it marinate, talk to their team members. And then once they have that kind of a clarity, they will realize what kind of products do I want to go out to. And that's where a, um, a product specialist enters the picture. So where I'm restricting myself is to talk about those fundamentals and setting up those foundations with the data when a specialized person in the product side of things can come and talk to them about the data. That makes a lot of sense. And honestly, I'd never heard of a data coordinator before. So that's interesting to know that that, that job exists. So uh, from your past experience in working with all of these nonprofits, what's the difference that you've observed in terms of data and analytics between nonprofits that are less than a year old or newly started and then maybe ones that have been around for a little longer and are more mature? I would say obviously the ones that have been longer, they would have more data. They also have, they have messier data, you know, it's not necessarily they have clean data. It sort of also depends on the sector a little bit. Healthcare has voluminous, but it's more structured data than compared to, let's say, arts and culture. They, they do, they may have a um, huge data coming as, as an old theater, let's say, but their data 
is not as structured as the healthcare data. So it sort of depends on the sector. It sort of depends on how old an institution is, how long they have been working. I would say a kind of a trend, which is sort of as good coming out of the pandemic that I'm seeing a lot is people want to diversify their audience. They want to reach to newer audiences. And that is not being, um, that's not being fulfilled by the kind of tools and products they have right now. So for the first time, at least for the first time I'm seeing, um, there is a little bit of a willingness to be flexible, to evaluate what is working, what is not working, how much data we have, is this tool really serving the purpose, or do we need to change and shift our methodology a little bit? There's some willingness, again, it changes sector to sector, um, but it definitely means that there is more opportunity for us to think about what can we do with that data. Whoever is coming from, you know, with that data, whether it's a larger, small organization, new or old, there is definitely some opportunity to think of that. So, and I've made the same observation too. If you have an organization that's been around for a long time, they're likely going to have more data, but it's going to be messy because they weren't planning on using it maybe the way that it now needs to be used. But if you were to um, give a new nonprofit some advice on if they're looking to start collecting and organizing data, what would that look like? I would say probably um, join me for my workshop, uh, but this is not join me for my workshop talk. But that's the kind of thing that I want I want to send out that message for in, in the industry, that there is a way for us to pause and think about these fundamentals. And, I, and I'm very sure I'm not the only one who offers this kind of a workshop. There are far more good resources out there, far more good workshops out there with people having um, a lot more knowledge. So there, there are people who are thinking about this. And what I want to t- tell those nonprofits who are starting out now or who are just start starting to think about data is to reach out to those people who are interested to talk to you about advancing equity through data. Because my job in my workshop is to go back to those fundamentals, talk to you about one, why should you be collecting good data at all? Like what is missing? What's the, some examples? Two, I want to talk to you about what are the small little components that matter when you are collecting data? It's not about that ultimately you see 25% in number with a percentage sign or $35K on a report. That is not the ultimate goal of collecting data. So there is more to it. We are, we are collecting it for a purpose, from a community, from a set of people. And my job is to ensure in those workshops, and this is what I wanna offer here in this in this podcast too, is to think of those small little components. So how, it, why are you collecting it? How are you asking it? What are you going to do with it? How is it being stored? There are these small, small, little, little things that if we be mindful about, I'm very sure that the data that we collect would have so much more purpose, so much more intentionality, and the the strategies that would come out of that data, it would have a lot more to offer as well. And speaking of purposes, I understand that one of the ways to using data is to help grow donor numbers and organizations. Have you encountered cases like that 
Or maybe if you have any examples that you can share with the listeners on that topic. Absolutely. So when I started this work, maybe I'm not going to start right away with the response to the question, but I'll start with that story. When I started working, setting up my practice, which is about, I would say, a year and one month uh, as of now. And when I started to do this, a lot of the questions that, or, or I would say some resistance that I might have faced or I was facing a little is nonprofits asking, okay, great. You want to talk about equity with data? That is great. But I have to uh, do some fundraising. I have to meet my goals. I have my donors that I have to increase. And I was starting this practice in the middle of the pandemic, which meant questions I would get like is, um, I have these pandemic donors who get made their gift for the first time. Why should I bother to think about equity through data during this? And, and I, I'm not saying I brought the question exactly that in that framing, why should I bother? But, you know, in a paraphrased way. And since then, I have started to build my work around consulting with the nonprofit specifically to answer that question. Why should they bother about doing this with their donors. That's because the, the donor demographics are changing. The national demographics are changing. The world is becoming kind of in a good or a bad way, more receptive and open to having more communities. We want to diversify our donors. And that is not going to happen one single day waking up because the world went through a racial justice movement and the, everybody decided that we need to get Every diverse member that is out there in the country, they should be our donors. That's probably not going to happen. And so there needs to happen. There needs to be a purpose, an intentionality in the way we are dealing with our data right from, the, from today, right from this moment, whether it's the surveys, whether it's the profit research, whether it's the vote well screening. So when everything um, is being done intentionally, we would at the end be able to look at the whole data together and parse it out and say, okay, now we know which community to reach out to and how do we engage them meaningfully? It's more, it's much more than um, sending me a, just giving an example, sending me a Diwali wishes and saying, hey, happy Diwali. That's not going to engage me as a Indian woman, South Asian woman. It's gonna take more than that. And so, for nonprofits who want to increase their donor numbers or want to diversify it, it's much more important for them to think about their service. How is it being done? Who is it being sent out to? Well screening, how is it being done? Prospect research, what are the factors and criteria they're using to search for their prospects and from where? There are those, again, like little questions, adding and answering and questioning which adds more clarity and mindfulness to bring more purpose. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Puget Sound Project Management Volunteers. Puget Sound Project Management Volunteers helps impactful non-for-profit organizations achieve their objectives by connecting them with skillful project managers who can aid them in crystallizing their visions, leading project teams, and deconstructing their goals into achievable milestones. This service is absolutely free and can help your nonprofit organization get the extra help it needs so that you can spend more time making a difference in the world and less time on administration. Visit pm-volunteers.org to request the assistance of a project manager 100% free of charge. No gimmicks, no catches, just one nonprofit helping another.
let's shift our focus a little bit to your business, Namaste Data. Um, it offers a variety of services. You already mentioned the half-day workshops. Um, and it has a vision of building community-centered solutions. Can you start by telling us a little bit about the idea behind Namaste Data and how you started it? Absolutely. So like I mentioned at the start of the podcast, my work experience for a long time has been to look at data in a very specific way from very specific two to three kind of roles as a program manager, as a project manager, looking at the KPIs and dollar values and metrics, none of which is bad, but it was not complete. What I would, the way I was looking at data was not giving me the full picture. And so when I was started, when I was starting out, actually when I was starting out, when I was in my past job, I think at that point, I felt this need, almost like, a, like I was mad for not being able to see myself in the data, for it's just feeling like there is a lived experience that is not being included in the data. And that sort of felt wrong to me for, and I, I had always leaned on to my appreciation for data science and analytics so long that I think I never got a chance to truly blend my lived experiences with that appreciation. So I decided I want to step back from all those full-time jobs and try to explore something and see if this works or not. I am I don't come up from a uh, family that has done a lot of businesses, so I don't come with that, you know, that attitude or go-getter attitude. I I learned along the way and I'm learning along the way every single day for my work and with my nonprofits and with the people I do these workshops for. So I would say the idea behind the master data was to ensure that the lived experiences are not removed from the data that we are dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis. And the name behind it wanted to, was just to reflect that same intention. Namaste means greeting in Indian language, Hindi. Data is my professional sort of identity. So I wanted to blend them both and it became Namaste Data. That's really inspiring to pursue something that you believe in wholeheartedly. So besides the half-day workshops that you mentioned earlier, what are some of the other services that Namaste Data offers to nonprofits? Um, so my work constitutes of, I would say, four broad components. One is consulting with the nonprofits. Consulting includes working on the fundraising side, so surveys, um, helping with predictive modeling. Then comes the second part, which is workshops, where I offer workshops like um, advancing equity through data. That's a live workshop. I also create on-demand courses um, like fundraising analytics for nonprofit leaders. It's a two and a half hour self-paced course that people can take on their own. The third part of my work is when I'm not consulting, not for shopping, I'm probably writing. I love writing. I have a newsletter, um, LinkedIn-based newsletter called uh, Data Uncollected. And the the purpose of it is to tackle those topics that I can't convince anyone to pay me for, honestly. So I can actually explore them by writing. And when all those three things are not happening, I like to nominate myself to speak. Anybody who's kind enough to bring me on their um, platform to allow me to talk about data with equity and inclusion, I'm probably going to be there. So the fourth part is speaking engagements and conferences and podcasts, like the one I'm here right now. So. That's kind of my work. Great. And we're so happy to have you. So thanks for coming on. 
So I noticed that the the pricing structure is a little little unique for for your business. Can you walk our listeners through the process behind that structure? Absolutely. Um, if any of the listeners here have tried any entrepreneurship work or thinking, I, I want to say this. Pricing is never perfect, just like there's nothing perfect being as an entrepreneur, you're learning, you're growing, and you keep changing and tweaking. Um, so day one, I had an idea of pricing and it confused me and I was questioning everything. I probably Googled and went up to the 10th page of the result, but couldn't find enough stuff, um, what to do with it. And I started to charge based on direct numbers. I started, okay, I need to start somewhere. And I started to just ask for numbers. I think eventually by the mid-year, I got this clarity from having conversations with others and sort of my personal intention too, to offer, not just offer the work about equity and data, but offer it equitably too. Not just do talk about equity, but offering it in a way that's accessible to everyone as well. So I turned from one single number to ranges. And by mid next year, last year, I was into like ranges for every organization. But at some point, by the end of the first year, which is like two, three, four months, two, three months, two months ago, I realized that giving range, the same range to every organization is still not equitable because not every organization is coming from the same place. Neither am I going to those organizations from the same place. I am evolving and so are my clients or prospect, prospects are evolving too. So I wanted to factor in those little fluidity, those nuances into the, into the pricing. And this is where um, this model came up and I would um, definitely say this is not my own model. It's coming from a lot of learning from different people and different organizations. And this seemed to be a good way to honor some of those things that I wanted to honor. At this point, it may change <laughs> down the line, but at, to, at this point today, it felt like I should start looking where the organization has been, where my um, the client prospective clients have been, um, depending on where do they come. So I look at their annual budgets, their, their numbers, and depending on that, I offer the ranges. So I still offer the ranges, but it starts with first looking at where are the organizations. If it's a really large foundation here in Canada, which has been, it's a national level foundation, I would probably charge something, which is also going to be helpful for me, for my work, for my, because this is my bread and butter. At the same time, if I'm working with a um, small or mid-sized organization who's just upcoming for their refugee rights um, work and they're they are um, into social justice work. I have a different sliding scale. I still have a sliding scale, but I have a different sliding scale. And through all of it, I wanted to somehow um, prioritize my interest and in, I would say, yeah, interest for social justice organizations. And so having these ranges in three categories and then having it on my page, if you see as daily and hourly dates, all of it, just segmenting it in different, slicing and dicing in different formats allowed me to honor those organizations that work for social justice and prioritize that in my intention. Thank you for taking into consideration this aspect within an organization, equity, even in pricing. And if there are any listeners here who are interested in working with you, 
What should be their expectations? Uh, definitely their expectation should be, I would be get, jumping on a call. First thing I'm asking is, have you eaten or not? That's my first one-on-one in asking everybody I work with. But in terms of really expectations, there should be none. I mean, I am coming from a place of, um, I always start my conversations as I'm not an expert. I'm here as a learner. I'm, I'm trying here to co-engage and co-learn and I think that place is that that starting point makes me feel comfortable, make me feel good about doing some solid good work. So if anybody who's listening to this episode wants to work with work with me, the thing that they must they should be expecting is a person who is willing to learn with them, work with them, and who doesn't come with a ton of how to guides, but she's willing to work with them to create that how to guide from scratch. So if needed that doesn't necessarily mean you need to create something from scratch but if needed we will do that and we will figure out a solution the, the pandemic has shown there are a lot of problems that have gone unnoticed unheard and unsolved for so long that it needs our attention and i think no solution is a bad solution so i'm very willing to be learning and offering all the examples and experiences i have gathered to those organizations listening to be able to solve their problems with data. Where can our listeners find you and your organization? Uh, my website is namastedata.org. So it is N-A-M-A-S-T-E-D-A-T-A dot O-R-G. That's my website. I'm very active on LinkedIn. That's my only platform, social media, where I'm active on. Um, my full name is Minakshi Mina Das. That's how they are going to find me. Um, hopefully that would be in the bio. Um, and anybody can also reach out to me to my um, email address. My email address is das.minakshi, last name, dot first name, 04 at gmail.com. I deliberately, um, starting out my work, I started to use my Gmail account instead of using a Namaste Data email address. That was probably because when I was starting to talk about equity, I wanted to create trust and for that trust to happen, I wanted to show up as much as I could about myself. So I opened up my personal email um, for that. So they can reach out to me for on my Gmail too, if wanted. Super. We will add all the info in our description. Mina, we can't thank you enough for spending your time to tell us about Namaste Data and how nonprofits can benefit from your services. I've personally learned a lot to understand data's interconnectedness and applicability with almost every part of an organization. I'm excited for others in this space to listen to your accumulated knowledge, and I wish you the best of luck with all the amazing work that you'll be taking on. Thank you so much for having me. This has been super fun. Like I said, it's I'm really grateful for every platform that allows me to come and talk about this. So thank you, Kayla and Carmen. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Everything Nonprofit. If you don't already, please follow us on Spotify, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review, and share this episode with your friends. Thank you for listening. Until next time.